Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eyes over going-ons at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Alderson, the centre-back playing in central midfield of the podcast. This is how we fix the defence right. And I'm joined today by the centre-back playing at left wing-back of the podcast, Martin Riley. This is how we fix the defence right. And finally, I'm joined by the centre-back playing as a target man of the podcast. This is how we fix the attack right. It's Tom Hosty Eamon Cundall. Tom, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Just realised that uh, that was my name in all mixed up terms of way. But yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm good. it was Eamon Hosty, but I went with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, my uh, my voice is better. So the reason why the podcast is late, and I'm really sorry, people, is because my voice was gone on Monday. Um, so we've given it an extra day or two for me to recover. I, I wish I, is it, there must be a way I can play the um, the recording you sent to our group chat through. <laughs> but like for, for those, well, for those the, the rest of you that don't have access to the group chat, it did sound like Sean, Sean Dyche, so that would have made a very nice feature for us today. Um, Martin, how are you doing? I am fantastic. I've had a very very nice tea. I'd made for the first time um, halloumi fries, and they were. Divine, absolutely. Obviously, I've had had them before, but it's the first time that I'm making them myself, and they're so simple to do and just so tasty. I had them with some uh, quiche and some pizza and hummus, and it was just a very nice tea. So, yeah, I'm good. Very good. That sounds like a good tea. I like that. I I had toad in the hole, so I'm also very happy with my tea today. Um, Tom, how what did you eat? Um, I had a homemade lasagna where I'd made the pasta sheets fresh today. Ooh. Um, so yeah, I like it. It's quite therapeutic and it's quite calming making your own pasta sheets and pasta and stuff. So I've got like my own little pasta maker and that. So yeah, made that and it went in looking really nice. It came out looking really nice. And then when I've served it up on my plate, it really just looked like a mash of beef, <laughs> pasta and cheese. So I reckon of the free meals like we normally do on a podcast, I think that might be the best all round free. I'm happy with that. Unless, unless anyone can think I of another discreet, but that's, good, they yeah. all sounded pretty good to me. So. I agree. I agree. That sounds very good. Homemade lasagna is, is always best, and with actual homemade pasta sheets as well. Yeah. So I can't say about that, to be honest, but it sounds sounds very good. And maybe, maybe next year we just actually just rank everyone's every week instead of talking about the football. Might be might be better. We'll just talk about food. Just do a food podcast. Yeah. All food, aren't we? <laughs> cool. So um, normally we talk about the news first. I guess the news at the moment is that there isn't really any news Um Radrazani put out a bit of a weird statement a couple of hours before we a couple of hours ago. Um, I haven't re- I've only just skim read it. So does anyone want to give their thoughts on that? But like, apart from that, there's no news on the ownership really, or the new manager or director of football or anything. So anyone want to talk about what Rad's put out in the last in the last few hours? I guess I guess the only thing that's interesting is the fact that he's done it through his own channel and not through a Leeds United letterhead. Um, in that sense, being the chairman and talking about the club that you own technically right now and then not putting it out through that channel is an interesting... I guess that's quite interesting and maybe says that something is imminent. Yeah, to, to me it feels like something is happening. I just don't know what. Like, yeah. it's He's either off, he's gone, and he can just piss off into the distance, thankfully. Or he's here next season, which probably... At least that means that would put loads of money into trying to go back up, but... Uh, Martin, you any thoughts on that, or should we, should we move on to talk about the shit that was on Sunday? Um, not a right lot to say about that statement. Um, the, the actual content in it sounded maybe like he was staying, but I, I just can't see that 
as being likely. And I think he might, might want to get out as soon as he can now that the deal to buy Sampdoria has gone through as well, I believe. that I think he might just want to get out while he can. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it might be a bit, just a bit of like gesturing just to try and like the sort of thing that you can maybe happens at the end of these sort of deals, like just to piss off one of the other parties to make make the deal work for some reason. But yeah, and all the other players, all the players have put out. Well, I say all the players, about four or five players have put out stuff today as well, haven't they? So yeah, so it feels like news is imminent, but we don't know what the news is. So I'm sure we can talk about that next week when nothing else has changed. Cool. So speaking of things that have changed, Leeds United's division. So let's talk about the game on Sunday. Um, so a summary of the game as usual. So the game started with Leeds playing six, and that's correct, six defenders. Um, and all six of those defenders, to make it even better, were capable of playing at centre-back. Uh, the game progressed exactly how would you expect it to progress with Spurs happy, allowing us to have the ball and looking to hit us in transition. Spurs were clinical and put away all their big chances, and we struggled to create, which has been the story of the season, relying mainly on set pieces and crosses directed at Robin Cook. Um, the game ended 4-1, with Jack Harrison putting away a low-value chance for our only goal. Um, normally at this point, I ask if there's a missed anything we missed out. I guess the detail on the goals, but no one really cares at this point. Oh, we've got, we've got something. Go on. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I just found it really interesting that um, the assist was Rutter. Rutter. <laughs> yeah, it was about time. You know, is that the? That's what we've been waiting for, yeah, right? It's just yeah. <laughs> to turn ten, up. ten weeks too late. But maybe maybe we were saving him from this for this game, and then like something something big was going to yeah. come, which was the assist to win a four-one loss. Um, right. So let's interrogate that game, shall we? So, uh, Martin, I'll come to you first. Um, six defenders, as we said in the summary. Was this Big Sam's final form, his Coupe de Grasse? Um, but no, seriously, what do, what do you think the, the strategy, if there was any strategy behind this match? I think it's quite simplistic, to be honest. I think he wanted as many big guys in the team as he could. I think the clear strategy was to try to score for, through set pieces, uh, through either Western McKinney's long throws or corners, or whatever, whatever, free kicks and all that. Just... I think it is as simplistic as that. We had attackers on the bench, which we could have started the game with. We easily could have played a more positive team than what we did. And that's the only thing I can think of why he would choose that many defenders in the team. I realise that we're against one of the supposed big six in Spurs. There's debate around which teams are in that. But yeah, considering how much was at stake in this game, um, it was a... Pretty mental approach, if I'm honest, especially considering how good Spurs generally are in defending. And maybe since they were going to allow us to keep the ball, which we alluded to last week in the pod, that maybe it would have been a better strategy to actually try to create something in open play. But <laughs> I think, yeah, well, that's the only thing I can think of as to what the strategy was. I, th- I think from, from when I saw the team, my, my thought was he just like, because realistically we, we needed to, well, we had to win 3-0, didn't we? if Everton drew and Leicester lost. And I think he kind of just ruled out that as an option, which is fair enough because it was very unlikely to happen. But it was kind of like, if Everton are losing, if Leicester are losing, let's stay in this game and nick a goal. That That is literally the only thing I could think of that he was doing. Um, it was funnier when we then lost, uh, were losing within 90 seconds, um, really hammered home that approach. But Tom, do you, what did you think of six defenders? Yeah, it was... Exactly as what Martin was saying, just trying to get it forward. And obviously, 
alluded to it in the summary that our main chances fell to Robin Cock. Like he must have had three or four, and I was I was just thinking if that is any any striker who's making that, or even that, an actual midfielder. Like if that's as much as we don't like him, if it's Sam Greenwood getting on the end of some of them, they might we might have had a better chance yeah. of scoring them. Um, you know, and that that seemed to be the tactic was get the ball to Robin Cock in the area. Um, we said how we've got we had no atta- attackers maybe who could hold the ball up. So I listened to that twenty five minutes of his tippy tappy podcast um, today that he has gone back on, and he 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 was just always talking about like trying to keep a clean sheet and that that's what the team couldn't do. Um, so I, I think that like what you were saying, he was just trying to make sure that that's what we did, and then obviously we didn't, and yeah, it just just didn't work. And I thought when Ruto came on, he actually had a good game for from what we've seen, probably the best we've seen of him, um, which is why I kind of want to highlight him a little bit there because him starting would have been better than having six defenders. I agree. Um, I do. I also agree that Ruto did have a good game. He was putting himself about a bit more physically and he was doing well in his tussles against the Spurs defenders and he was actually doing having a reasonably good centre-forward game and I feel that he sh- this was the opportunity we, sh- we should have been giving him uh, since we, ha- we had no Bamford to, to bring on because he was injured and instead he chose to put play Robin Cox. Well, he didn't really play him as a striker but he just sort of moved into those striker positions when, when we were trying to cross it in. So I think I feel like this is a bit of a waste opportunity that we could have started Rutter from the beginning and it could have been a bit different hopefully. Yeah, I think it may, maybe it's one of those that say like this game had happened for even like four weeks ago, maybe even like two weeks ago. Rutter might have been thrown in there um, but it was it's like it's a bit of a one-off occasion isn't it? Really, that that match on the last day where you you kind of just want to stay into it, stay in it to get a goal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of I, I do agree with what what you're saying there, but I can I think it's just the the nature of it being the last match of the season has probably meant that Rutter's not got the start there. Then for me, um, so I'll move on to the next question now. Um, I'll come to you on this one, Tom. So despite despite starting with six defenders, we actually finished this match with 52 percent possession, which is the highest we've had under Big Sam. So, do you reckon this was by design or forced on us by Spurs? Uh, yeah, it was 100% forced on us by Spurs. Um, that played into exactly what they wanted to do. It helped them create their big chances to score from and force errors with us ending up leaving players upfield because we were trying to do some form of possession game, which none of the players could do because there were six defenders on the pitch, like we've just said, when we were close up to the, uh, to the box. And, yeah, I thought... Forshaw had a really good game as well. Like on the ball, he held the ball quite like he recycled it really well. Um, but then you know he's recycling it to Christensen on at right wing back, strike at left wing back, and that's just not not their positions. Yeah, Martin, you got anything you want to add on this one? Yeah, pretty much the same as what Hossie said. There, Spurs didn't really want to keep hold of the ball. They knew, they knew that if they let us have the ball, we weren't going to do a lot with it. And that's been shown time and time again that this season we when we're given the ball we're not really good with it and we're not able to create anything that started under Marsh and it persisted under Grazia and it continued being the same case under Big Sam and when you've got six friends on there's only so much that they can do and I agree that Forshaw did, did the best that he could do in that midfield of tried to keep us ticking over um, but the only so much he can do when he hasn't got the same targets to aim for we tried to put crosses in and like we said, the crosses have always fell to Robin Cock. So this possession that we had, it was 
pretty much meaningless. As soon as Spurs got the ball, they hit us with their elite players and wasn't granted there were some errors in there. But also, when you've got such elite players against you, the slightest mistake that you make, and I do think some of the mistakes were a little bit overblown, that they're going to be punished. And that's exactly what happened, especially with the first 90 seconds of both halves. That <laughs> That's just unfortunate, but it's what happens when you do make these slight mistakes against the best best players. Absolutely. Um, so you, you've kind of touched that. I'll, I'll move on to the next question now, Martin. You've kind of touched on that already with your answer there. But So do you think we were as bad as we looked in this game then, or do you think it were just Spurs elite players uh, punishing us with the... Um, when they were able to get a chance. Yeah, I do think we were as bad as what we looked. Um, just because Spurs players did punish us doesn't mean that we weren't awful when we did have the ball. Um, we did did allow our, ourselves to get turned over quite frequently and I think it could have probably ended up being a higher scoreline. But I don't think Spurs were wanting to commit men a foul as often. So they just hit with the players that they needed to hit and if it worked out, it worked out. And they didn't need to do too much to make us turn the ball over. It was all quite easy especially when we continue to to go for the long throws even when McKenney was quite far away from the penalty box which just meant that again he was forcing us on transitions and a few a goal could have been uh, could have happened from one of those as well so yeah it's probably about 75% us being bad and the, the remaining 25% on Spurs' elite players punching us when we did give those chances away yeah I think with um the long throws, I think, because like, it was happening the same at West Ham last week, wasn't it? That they're doing doing the throws too far away from the box, and then it just gave you, especially when you've got Big Sam like shouting on the sideline, throwing people forward, and you're like, well, and then they just break on you, and especially like it's bad enough against West Ham to do it against Spurs, who is like this. You're literally playing directly into the hands. Um, so I, I've as much as it was quite funny seeing McKenney's throw-ins, it brought me the probably the smallest amount of joy you could get out of um, Big Sam's time at Leeds. I have had enough of seeing long throws and Weston McKenney just in general. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the back of that. But, um, Tom, what about your thoughts on the, the question? So, do, yeah, do you think Leeds were as bad as they looked on um, on Sunday? So, like, as I was saying, I listened to Tippy Tappy podcast before and um, Allardyce basically alluded to that it was down to the elite players and basically Kane scoring chances. Um, and the fact that we had had 21 shots on target um, and stuff like that. He did say that like three of their goals were mistakes, but all their goals were scored by elite strikers. It was like the only chances that they had was what he was trying to say. Um, but all of our chances we've already alluded to, like four or five of them fell to cock. Two or three fell to Christensen. Another two fell to Strike because they're the players that he yeah. put on the pitch, and they're not players who score goals. So it, it's kind of a bit of both. We we were not as good as like we didn't we weren't good. We but Spurs did beat us with elite players, but that's because they also actually had players who were playing in their positions. Um, on the long throws, on am I going to miss McKenney's long throws? I I really wish we could have kind of embraced a full kind of Rory Delap <laughs> Stoke just to stay up. Um, but United States of Stoke, or I don't know what area of the country Stoke is. I know where it is, but I can't remember what county it is. But yeah, um, it would have been nice, but I'm I'm not gonna miss it. Basically, with so the, the, only if you look at the XG, um, it was like 1.5 to Leeds, 2.2 to Spurs. So I guess the difference there is 
what that is quite close and like you could say some draw, some days that's a draw some days that's a win on if you just use going off the underlines um but like you alluded to there Tom when 2.2 of xgs fall into Harry Kane and 1.5 of xgs fall into Robin Cox so like if it's a your average player that's getting those chances Harry Kane's going to make 2.2's xg much bigger than 2.2 and Robin Cox going to make it much smaller so when you look at it like that like 4-1 is probably a fair result so yeah i think if I, I haven't listened to that podcast but from what you've said there that is just bollocks to me <laughs> and i think as well when you set up with that defensively even if like one of your players makes mistakes you should have like six defenders there harry kane shouldn't be getting a chance from within the 18 yard box 90 minutes in like that is just i don't care if it's a mistake or not that you should, that mistake should be recoverable with the number of defenders you've got on the pitch so yeah that's all some just big sam talking rubbish as usual um so, uh, does anyone have any more to say about that, or should we move on to talk about one of our favourite players who's not doing very well? Yeah, we can move on. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yep. So, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's have a little chat about Pascal Stroik then. So we have had a listener question from um, at Russ a lot of numbers that I'm not going to recite on the podcast. Why is Stroik so bad after you guys said he was the second coming for so long? Which is a very fair question. So, uh, Martin, do you want to go on that one? Yeah, I think it is fair to say that um, Pascal Stroik hasn't had a good second half of the season. Um, he's made a fair few errors, which have led to goals, which I think has seriously hit his confidence quite a lot. And although... Both of the mistakes which led to goals in this first game, I feel they were relatively minor, but it's just the fact that there's two, two of these minor mistakes in the same game. And there's other players who were, were just as culpable, especially in the opening goal, I, I feel, but that's besides the point. Um, in the first half of the season, I, feel, I think some people would say that he was one of, one of our players of the season up until the World Cup. Agreed. Yeah. He was filling in at left, at left back. And he's never played there before, and he was doing a better job of it than our other fullbacks, who are natural fullbacks on the other side of the pitch. So yeah, he was he had a great start to the season, and I don't know what happened during the World Cup break, but he definitely did see seem to be different after it. I'm not sure that if anyone can remember, was was he playing at centre back when we came back from the World Cup, or was he still playing at left back? I'm trying to think. I don't think he's got a run at centre back all season. I don't think I would. I'd, might be wrong, but I'd, I, for me, it's always felt like he's played left back, unless he's played the centre back for the odd game. Like I don't think he's got more than maybe three or four in a row at centre back. Yeah, I think that would sound about fair. I'm just, while I'm talking, I'm going, I'm going to try to bring that up just so I can have a look just for, for, for my own. Yeah, um, n- knowing. So whilst Martin's doing that, I'll just say that it's for me, Stroke. He he seems to like not react to sort of mistakes in games or probably mistakes in general from like game to game very well. Um, he. Once he makes a mistake of the game, it seems like he struggles to get over it. And then it's like in his minds, which can sort of 
then like compound it later on. It's just loads of it just leads to a bad performance. Like you could even see if you you go back to his first game coming on against Cardiff, like he was three 0 up, he makes one mistake, and then that mistake just it keeps it keeps going and going. So it it doesn't surprise me that he's either kind of look all right, and then it could suddenly all seem to go wrong from in and within a game, and then on a run of games, and especially as it has in the second half of the season. I, w- I will say that it's. I think because he's been played out of position most of the time, it's hard to build confidence in yourself. Um, so I think that's probably like at least when he was at left back, he was getting a run of games at left back. He can get used to the role. I think the system was probably operating better in the first half of the season. I know it wasn't great, but it was definitely better than what was happening after the World Cup, um, which will just help him with just a bit more consistency, which he's not had after the World Cup. So yeah, that'd be my thoughts on that. Um, Martin, have you got your match logs up or shall I go to Tom? Go on, Martin. I do indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, before the World Cup break, he played every game at left-back. He played in, against Villa briefly at centre-back, but he started again at left-back. And then after the World Cup break, he, he played a couple of games at, at left-back, a game at centre-back, another five games at left-back. And then he had five games in a row where he did, he did play at centre-back. Okay. But... Yeah, so that kind of answers there. So, but yeah, he, so I think it is just something similar, like you didn't mention there, with the mistake that he made against Cardiff, which could have quite badly hit his confidence against a side who were in a lower league, and he's making a mistake against them, and maybe it shouldn't affect his confidence as much as it has, but it does seem that it has. I mean, before the World Cup break, he even scored twice, <laughs> so that that does tell you that he was he was doing well before the World Cup, and the team was functioning as it was meant to function. Yeah. I'm not going to say functioning well, but it was, like you said, uh, uh, the players knew what they were meant to be doing. They'd had, they'd had the full pre-season. They knew what, where they were meant to be doing. And I would imagine most of the pre-season as well, Strauch would be prepared to play at left-back, so that will have helped. And then as as uh, after the World Cup break, and they made, made a mistake just after it, it just has damaged him. And it's, it's compounded it each time he's made an additional mistake after that. And... I do still think that he is probably our best centre back when he is playing at the top of his game, but at the moment you can't say that about him because he's quite far away from what that is really. I'm not sure if host- sorry. So I was, well, what those five games at centre back that he had in the second half of the season? What were they out of interest? Um, Arsenal, Forest, Palace, Liverpool, and City. So that, that'll do it. <laughs> even if you get a run, like, that's not going to help you, is it? Really? Yeah. Um, apart from Forest, but they even they even lost that. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts, thoughts on strike? I've been asked this question quite a bit by friends as well, like because I've always said that I think he's the best centre back that we've got at the club, and I think one of the key things are the way that we that we play, and you know, in possession, and how that how the ball comes back to you can ch- will change how you defend. So when we used to have the ball a bit more under Bielsa, you know where everyone's meant to be, you know where everyone's defensive defensively meant to be and building up positionally and so that helps you defend better because you should know what everyone else's jobs are doing and I think that sort of thing used to help him quite a lot and the fact that our in possession stuff was a much better suited to his skill set um I do agree that his confidence is probably down and he's struggling to pick it up and I think Tom you were maybe talking about the championship 3-0 against Cardiff when yeah, we yeah. drew three all, when he made the mistake against uh, Lee, is it yeah. Lee Tomlin, yeah, yeah, that it was against. 
when he flicked it round him. And I think there was some stories that came out that after making that mistake, he turned around and said to Bielsa, I, I want to leave in January. And Bielsa said no. Um, I seem to remember that coming around at the time. And I think, so there maybe is a question about where his mindset is when he makes those sort of mistakes and how much pressure he puts on himself for that. As a footballer, you probably shouldn't let one mistake get to you so much. Um, but playing out of position is definitely not going to help him. So you look at that first goal, it's his it's his position in not knowing like he's not a natural left back. So he shouldn't have his back to the player on the wing. He should be showing him on the outside. And him having his back to him allows, uh, I think it's Kulisevsky, uh, to cut in and play it to Son, who plays it to Kane. And yeah, I think it's just a multitude of lots of things that have just gone wrong for him and that don't work for him and don't suit him right now. And I personally don't want to see him leave, but I think for him, he probably should leave this summer yeah, as well. Yeah, that, that's... Um... That's an interesting point, actually, on the sort of like he, he, the differences between the the in possession of like Bielsa and what whatever it is that has been this season or what it is now. Because um, like under Bielsa, he was always it's like when he played hold midfield, it was always he played it more like zonally. Whereas Phillips was obviously very good at the the man marking element of that, which I don't think Stroy was ever as natural with. Which he, he got he was good at. I think he got his head around it. Don't. Um, but even at centre back, though, I think he he still approached it more as like a as zonely as you can in that system, and that's probably has impact impacted him at left back because I I imagine as a on a as a fullback like you do play it more man orientated because you you kind of go one on one against the winger, um so it probably doesn't suit his tendencies, and then with the way that Leeds play at the moment or have done all season, that with the players all over the place, like the zone that you have to mark is probably a little bit harder to define and it's like he does just hasn't played to his strength so I think that's really I haven't thought about that before but it, it is a good point um I do agree that I still think he's our best centre-back and if he was to come into the championship I think under the right management I think he could look very good again and we'd be we'd he'd look like the strike that we've known from previous seasons but it could also do him good to get out of Leeds at the moment um and it but I, I would expect him if he went to the right team to just look amazing um, so I don't I don't think any of us have changed our view on Stroik that he is a good centre back. We are still high on that, but we are all I think accepting that he's not been very good um, this season. But for the reasons we've just suggested to there. So Martin, have you got you want to respond to any of that, or should we move on? No, I think all all what you said there is fair. I'm in agreement. Good stuff. Right. So um, next question then. So back to the championship. We're going. Is it going to be another 16-year stay, Martin, or do you see us turning around pretty quickly? I would hope, if we get the decisions right, that yes, we have the potential to come back up straight away. Um, but a lot of it does depend on us making the right decisions and also making them quickly. There's a lot that's up in the air at the moment. We don't have a director of football. We don't have a manager. And... At the moment, we're not even sure who the owners are going to be for the coming season. So there's a lot left to settle. But if we can make some some good choices, if we get a direct football in who can set the philosophy for the upcoming years and bring in a manager to suit that, and also get rid of anyone who doesn't want to stay and bring in new players to replace them, there's a lot of overheads going on there. But I am still relatively confident that we can go back up. We may have some settling to do in the opening of the season and maybe we don't look as good at the start. 
but we settle into it as it as the season goes. And I think we should still have a strong team to be able to go straight back up. It's just whether the other teams have come down with us who may be a bit a bit better prepared than they will have the same ownership problems and I think I know it said that Southampton already had um who's it sorted out. They've got director of football sorted out, I believe, and Russell Martin's agreed. Russell Martin, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, so they've looks like they've already got their man sorted, and I'm sure Leicester won't be too far behind with that. So we just need to make sure we don't get left behind in that that element because there's so much to do. There's, there's potentially quite a lot of players leaving, and potentially a lot of players coming in. So a lot of things can go wrong. But if we aren't stupid, which current <laughs> developments aren't really, we, we probably are <laughs> <laughs> very hopeful in that. Um, but New ownership and all that. So if it is new ownership, I'm thinking maybe I would have more faith in us making the right decisions than if Andrea Radrazani does stick around. That if he was stick around, I would be worried. Yeah, same as mine in that sense. Like it all depends on how quickly we get the ball moving with what needs to happen. So the quicker we get the direct football in, the quicker we get the manager in. Um, the quicker we move players on or keep players who maybe are thinking. Because I imagine that there's going to be quite a few players um, in that squad who thought they were signing to a um, top 10 pushing side, top 15 side, weren't going to be in any danger of relegation. And so they'll still probably see themselves as being those sort of players. And it depends on if they want to just move and not be part of the championship or if they think that they want to prove themselves, get them above, get them out, get, get us out of the championship or if we can convince them that that's what they should do and it'll be good for them in that sense. Um, we've obviously got some championship experience in our players, be that young and old, which is good to help us maybe come back up. So I imagine that the likes of Aileen and Cooper will probably stay an extra year for sure, might also. So they'll be good old heads to have around and we do, whether we keep them of course, but there is Gelhart, Creswell, who have just had uh, Shackleton as well, may come back and you never, we never know. I think it's someone that I've literally just remembered now he was out on loan in the championship <laughs> this year. So um, there's players who have had okay years this year in the championship. I think Rowett has said he'd like to take Creswell and Shackleton again next year, or he would. Um, and considering Millwall nearly got playoffs, that's not a bad barometer in that sense. Um, Lewis Bate has had a good year at League One. So we've got some players who now are kind of mix of young and old might help with a nice core that if we can supplement okay but yeah we need the manager and the director of football to also know exactly what direction we need to go in first and that only comes with when the ownership gets sorted which as we said earlier we're still none the wiser yeah no i can can only echo all that um i think for me it's just there's quite a lot to do like you you guys have said so Hopefully, Martin is what you said, and that they'll be they might settle after a pretty turbulent summer. But um, I think I think we'll be in and around there. But it just depends on how well we how well we organise we get this summer. Will depend on how successful it is, really. Um, but I'm sure we'll chat about that a lot in the summer. So we do have one last question from our favourite listener. So um, they ended their tweet by saying hi to all my communist friends. So hello, politics fatch. Um, I'm only going to go with the first half of the question here because the second half of the uh, the tweet we'll talk about a lot in the summer is just saying about which players are more better for the championship. 
Um, but we'll, we'll probably come back to that in the next few weeks. So um, Politics Fatch says, it's often said that players needed for the EFL are more physical. Is that true, Tom? Do we think Pablo Hernandez was really physical? Yes. I thought he was well known for his physical <laughs> yeah. abilities. Um, yeah, I don't think they have to be. I think it probably helps. I think you're going to get... Depend, it depends how you play. If you play a certain way, you can avoid that physicality being such an issue, right? Um, if you're playing that you're lumping the ball up to your big man, then you're going to need a physical big man to be able to hold up the play against big centre-backs if you're coming up against them. Um, so yeah, I think there's some teams now in the Championship that aren't as physical as what they used to be. So, you know, Burnley came up. I don't think they were exactly the most physical of teams. I, I didn't watch enough of the EFL to exactly have a very good opinion on that but yeah they probably are going to be more physical because they're not going to be as technical because if they were more technical they'd be in the Premier League so um but I don't know if it's needed I do think it it depends to where you look at it when you say physical um because I think you may may have better players who are athletes in the Premier League the ones who are at the top tier of what an athlete can do in football and you'll also have that in combination with them being tall as well talking about the centre-backs so, yes, you may get some big centre-backs in, in the Championship, but they'll also be pretty lumbering and pretty slow. And the players like something like Aronson, who may, the people may feel may struggle. I know we're going to get into that in the summer, but just an example I wanted to use. that. Yes, it's more physical, but if you've got a player who is agile and quick like Aronson is, they won't be able to get hold of him to bring him down. That's the difference between the, the defenders and the midfielders as well in in both both divisions. You will look at some teams who are packed with the more, more physical players because that's how their team wants to play. And then you'll also get other teams who don't want to do that. Um, I haven't watched a great deal of championship this season, but you've got teams, I think, is it, is it was it Swansea who Russell Martin was managing? So they they weren't the most physical side, and they played a lot of possession style football under Martin. So you you have team you have teams like that. So yeah, there's a mixture of different styles in in the league, and so you may get some teams who are, who do have a lot of big and strong boys, and you also get some who don't, just like the Premier League. So I do think overall, there is maybe in certain aspects of physicality, there is maybe some who are stronger in in the league. But they're not as good athletes as the ones that we're, that we're used to, and the Premier League is known to be in the most intense league in the world. And players who have come from Germany, which is also a pretty intense league, struggle to deal with how strong the Premier League is because it's packed full of d- defenders who are not only strong but they're also fast. And you won't have that same combination with most sides in the championship you just won't because they wouldn't be in the championship if they were that good of athletes and all the rest of it that goes with being a footballer so yeah i don't think we should need to worry too much regarding physicality on the other side of being physical and um i know that the question was big and strong but you've got small and fast as being something which can make you stand out in the championship and we've got that player who's probably coming back next year in dan james who Technically, we all don't think too much of, but in the championship, he was just because of his speed. He was fa- he he made himself look a good player and above a lot of the level in the championship, which is what got us interested in him first. And that's a different sort of physicality. He's a bit more athleticism and um, cardiovascular sort of endurance. But um, I think there's so many different ways of what physicality counts for in the championship as well that can just make you look a bit better than 
maybe you are. Yeah. Um, that sounds good then, but apart from the bit where it sounds like Dan James is going to tear up the championship. Um, so I will Let me dream. Bring it. Let me dream. <laughs> you can have that dream if you want, but don't share it. Um, <laughs> so I'll bring it to a close, to a close there, unless anyone has any other closing thoughts they want to they bring to the table. Nope. Okay. Uh, so obviously no preview this week because there are no games left this season that matter for Leeds United. Um, we do have a lot of plans over the summer, so we're going to try and resurrect what used to be Orta's list. We don't know the name yet. That is a working title. If you have any ideas, we would appreciate them. Um, but we're going to obviously talk about the new manager when it when they do appear, um, look at the state of the squad at the start um, as it is now, who might come down to the championship with Leeds, um, and then we'll probably look at it just again, again just before the season to see what a mess the new director of football has made of it. Um, we've got a season review next week as well, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But yeah, we'll be we'll be pretty busy this off season. Hopefully, not as busy as Legion. Well, we hope Legion United are more busy than us. I, I should hope say. United keep us busy, so that I hope that mine mine's got to make like four hundred scouting reports. <laughs> yeah, because like, well, we I, I was gonna have a week off next week, and like we looked at it, and it was like there's actually loads to talk about. So there's yeah, also no good time because of the condensed and expanded league league sank to the World Cup season sort of thing. So there's literally not long until the start of next season. Yeah, if only we had a director of football in place and a manager, and that didn't scare the shit out of me. <laughs> but um, I will bring it close, close there then. So thank you to Tom, as yeah, always. Thank you very much. And thank you to Martin, thank as always. And thank you, listener, for sticking with us throughout the season. I know there's been quite a lot of changes with um, John leaving at the start, Darren leaving in the middle, but we hope you've enjoyed the podcast, even if you've not enjoyed your Legion United Um We will see you right through the off-season. But until then, have a good week. Bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.